We are all purposed, molded by the hands of our Creator. We all have different passions and callings, but we are, in a way, the same. We are all created for connection. We are made for deep, vulnerable, intimate relationships with one another, to sharpen one another, to learn from one another, and to reach the lost with the love of Jesus. This is discipleship. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, discipleship is our common purpose. We are all made for it. You know, it's powerful imagery to um, look at someone making clay. And, you know, oftentimes you think about uh, God created not just the world, the universe, but he created you. In Psalm 139, you know, David writes that even before we came into this world, God knew us. He formed us in our mother's womb. And when you look at clay being shaped and molded, it makes you realize again that um, if we are willing to put ourselves on the wheel, so to speak, then God, our maker, can shape us and get us into the right place. And I love just, you know, seeing pottery that's made for different purposes. It's, there's, there's clay, which is the common ingredient, but then how you shape it and, uh, and how you manipulate the clay and then to ultimately find out its purpose is just a beautiful picture and imagery as to what God does with us. You know, um, this morning, I just want to say welcome again to Antioch, and if it's your first time, we're glad to have you. If it's your first time being in a room with more than 10 people, welcome. And, um, uh, you know, we're excited about kicking off this fall, and I know it seems a bit odd, a little different than usual uh, fall kind of kickoffs. I was talking to a few freshmen earlier, and, you know, there wasn't really a fish camp going on this year. If you did impact camp, that was a little different. It kind of went virtual. Um, how do we kind of been, uh, you know, there used to be huge ice cream socials. We used to go serve pizza to 1,000 college students at Academic Plaza, uh, serve out pizza. But all that's been changed a little bit. Um, but I think we're all working it through. But whether or not you would label this year as the most interesting year so far, uh, challenging year, a uh, surprising year, whatever you label with, I think what, what is real is that every one of us have experienced it together on some level. Even though we've been apart, oddly enough, we've actually experienced 
the realities of the coronavirus, the realities of uh, racial injustices and tensions, the realities of ongoing political battles, the realities of shelter in place to people losing their jobs to um, to school going virtual online to the unknowns of sports and everything else. We live in this time and day and age where it's just interesting, as I'll put it. But I want you to know this before I jump in the message is that at Antioch, what is clear to us is this. No matter what the issue is or the crisis, we wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is the solution. He's the solution. Jesus is the solution to the world's problems, and the church, a.k.a. the people of God, are called upon to co-labor with Jesus to see complete transformation of the heart and individual, to see change, real change happen in a society and in a community and in a family. But that's our filter. So once you know, if you're visiting Antioch, we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about the Bible, the Word of God. Because without the Word and without the relationship with Christ, we don't have any footing. We don't have a filter. We don't have a guide. We don't have clarity. Instead, we just end up grasping for the next thing. So I want to encourage you, no matter what you've experienced, and I just want to say the year's not over. we still got a few more months of craziness probably happening. Um, <clears throat> and so more than ever, man, let 2020 be the year that marked you for being a man or woman of the word, or being a man or woman who really decided to follow Jesus. And so I think it's fitting that we are launching a six-week series today called Made For It, which as the video displayed, we're talking about discipleship for the next six weeks. If, if you've been in church a while, or if this is your first time, or you've only been around a few Christians, you've probably heard like about the Bible a little bit. You've heard about prayer a little bit. You may have heard the buzzword discipleship, right? Discipleship sounds cool, right? A lot of people, oh, yeah, discipleship. But then you ask people, well, what does that really mean? Or what's been your experience? They're not really sure what they could tell you, right? So the next six weeks, we're going to provide some clarity here, some biblical clarity, and some clarity for us as a church as to what is discipleship, how do we actually do it, why does it actually matter, so that at the end of six weeks, if you journey with us, for six weeks, then our hope is that you will have confidence and clarity and understanding and the tools you need to actually be a disciple and make disciples. Amen? So that's what we're doing the next six weeks. We're going to actually help you understand how to be a disciple and how to make disciples, hopefully, so that you actually do that the rest of your life. That's what we're inviting you into, okay? You guys ready for it? All right, so here we go. So, um... Have you ever thought about how Christianity spread so fast, right? 2,000 years ago, Christianity began when Jesus stepped on the scene, right? He lived for 30 years, and then at the age of 30, we know he began his ministry. But when you think about the vast spread and the rapid spread of Christianity, it is kind of incredible. You have to remember, this movement was not well-funded, right? Um, there, there wasn't a bunch of politicians or government officials supporting it. They didn't have their own literal army. Like, there, there just, there wasn't the like, there wasn't this big backing behind it. It started with Jesus, the Son of God, and it started as something small, and then rapidly grew and spread. So much so, it actually spread to different races, 
different nationalities, different languages, right? Like Christianity spread cross-culturally. It spread cross-economically. You could be rich or poor or somewhere in between, and you could know Christ. You could be black, white, or brown, or different color. You could know Christ. You could speak this language or that language. You could know Christ. You could be, uh, you could be part of the Roman Empire or not. You could know Christ. You could be free or slave. You could know Christ. It was the only thing that actually went through every other kind of hindrance and hurdle, and you can know Jesus. But the most incredible thing about the spread of Christianity, guys, is that most of it happened once Jesus left planet Earth, which is weird, right? Usually the, like, founder of the company, the leader, it's like, hey, things are going well as long as they're here, right? But when they retire, resign, it's like, oh, gosh, here we go, right? But it actually took off when Jesus left, which is bizarre. So how in the world did this actually happen, right? Well, Jesus had a few opportunities, I'll call them, a few options at his disposal about how to start his ministry and how to spread Christianity. Did you know that? He had a few options. I'm going to share with you four potential options Jesus could have chosen, some paths he could have chosen. The first one would be, you know, Jesus steps on the scene there, and John the Baptist, you guys know you've heard about him. If you haven't, he's the guy that wore camel's hair. I, don't, I haven't seen anybody wearing camel's hair in a long time. He wore camel's hair. It said he ate locusts, I think those bugs, which I guess got some protein in them, and then honey, which I'm down for that, okay? So I'm down for the honey part of John. So, but he's out, and everyone knew he's kind of this crazy guy preaching about repentance, repent, you know, God is coming, you need to repent, you sinners. So there's old John the Baptist, wild-eyed. He's out there at the Jordan River baptizing people. They're coming, and Jesus shows up one day. And so he gets baptized by John. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. The voice of God, the Father, comes out. This is my son of whom I'm well pleased. I mean, it's just like this epic moment. Just, it was happening right there. And Jesus could have turned to Johnny and said, hey, man, it's been real. Thanks so much. I'll take it from here. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the baptism thing at the Jordan River. That's going to be my gig now. He didn't do that, though. What about after that? He was led out to the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days. Yes, that means he didn't eat food for 40 days. It is possible. He went out there. Then the devil came at the end of his time when he's at his weakest with his stomach empty trying to tempt Jesus. What did he tempt him to do? To actually disobey God, right? So the devil shows up, direct assault. Jesus thwarts his temptations every single time, all three times. I like to think of the devil walking off with the tail between his legs, just totally dejected and discouraged because he thought he had Jesus after he fasted for 40 days. And he thought, surely I'm going to get him. He didn't get him. So he walked off. You know, Jesus could have started his wilderness ministry, you know, come out in the wilderness or could have been this like, he could have lived in isolation and done it from there, but he didn't do that, did he? He came back to town eventually after the wilderness and he could have, what he could have done, he actually started preaching and teaching the synagogues and, you know, he was a pretty good speaker. People actually said they were amazed at the authority he carried, the confidence that he carried. Like, they're like, man, this guy is different. Don't you know there's a few people who are like, hey, Jesus, we can sell a few tickets. We can get a book going. I mean, we can fill up the amphitheater that maybe the Roman Coliseum. We can get you there, buddy. Just let me be your agent. Don't you know there was some guy that was like, this is going to be good. Jesus could have been this circuit, public speaker, communicator, could have done it, right? Just fill the stadiums, 
with, you know, the makeup and all and just could have. He didn't do that, though, either. How about this last one? It says that um, Jesus actually, after preaching to the synagogues, he then went out and his first recorded miracle in the book of Luke, actually, is him rebuking a demon out of a man. That's how it starts, okay? So Jesus not only rebukes a demon out of a man, just says, like, get out of there, and then he goes to a woman who has a fever and says, get out of there too. He could have been like Jesus the rebuker, you know? I mean, he could have made shirts. Hey, who are you following? Jesus the rebuker? It's like, whoa, that's a little edgy, you know? Like, he could have had a really edgy ministry going, but he didn't do that. You see, these examples were not the way. Did he rebuke demons? Yes. Did he preach and teach in synagogues? Yes. Did he heal the sick? Yes. Was he baptized? Yes. Was he tempted and stayed off the devil? Yes. But that was not the main way he was going to bring about the kingdom of God and to bring this heaven-invading earth reality and allow the gospel and the transformation of a heart and soul to spread worldwide. That was not the main way. See, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, he comes back from the synagogues and from the wilderness, and he steps up to a synagogue on the Sabbath, and he reads from the scroll, Isaiah 61, a public reading. It says this in chapter 4 of Luke, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was reading this to say, I am he. This prophecy that the prophet Isaiah wrote hundreds of years prior to this moment, wrote this, and Jesus said, this is me. I'm coming to fulfill this. So he gave, it, he gave clarity as to his mission statement. But how is he going to do that? How is he going to actually bring good news to the poor? How is he going to actually bring about recovery of sight to the blind? How is he going to actually proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, set people free? How is he going to do it? You see, Jesus is making it clear this is his mission. But you see, he also knows how we were made. He was there. <laughs> he, he knows how we are wired as humans. And... What Jesus knew was that we were made for relationships, but made for relationships to where it required our interactions, our closeness, our communication, our togetherness. And that togetherness and that iron sharpening iron, rubbing shoulders, doing life together, is called discipleship. You see, he knew we were made for discipleship which is why that is the main way he chose to spread the kingdom. It was not in the Colosseum. It was not in the miracles. It was by spreading it through discipleship. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, if you got it. We're going to read 11 verses here. We're going to start out in verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I want to pause there. Here's Jesus. He's preaching and teaching. He's done some miracles. Words getting out. Hey, there's this Jesus guy. Let's go see him, right? Just imagine some pop star with everybody kind of going crazy after him. Woo! You know, just sign this, you know, tattoo that. Just can I please get a selfie? I mean, that's what's going on, right? People clamoring for Jesus. And he's like, okay, I'm feeling suffocated. He doesn't ask it on a boat. He just gets on a boat. So he's bold. He's the son of God. He can do that, right? He just gets on the boat, and he's like, hey, you guys, push me out here. But he wants to continue to teach the people. He just doesn't want them hanging over him. I needed some space, right? He needed at least six feet, right? So <laughs> Jesus needed some space, and so he starts preaching and teaching from the boat. But I want you to see that um, although he continues to teach, he soon shifts his focus. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who's also Simon Peter, Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Jesus tells him to put the boat out. And after he's done speaking, right, he starts discipling Simon Peter without him knowing it. So he tells him to put the nets down. Remember, this is the novice fisherman, Jesus, as far as we know, versus the expert, the professional, Simon Peter. And Peter wants to make it clear that he has tried what Jesus is asking him to do, which we like to do that too, don't we? Okay, okay, I'll do it. But I just want to be clear, I have tried that, but this was on you, right? So here we go. So he says to make it clear, We've already done this. We've caught nothing, but hey, I'll do it, right? Thank you, Peter, for actually giving in to Jesus there. Let's go to verse 8 and 9. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. I want you to see two things here that happens in this interaction with Jesus and Peter and the gang. Number one is this, the result of Simon Peter's obedience is abundance. The result of his obedience is abundance. Can I tell you that we oftentimes want abundance without obedience? That's our sin nature, by the way. We want shortcuts. We want to be married without ever dating. We want a degree without putting the work in. We want a promotion without earning the sweat equity in the company. We want to have our cush job when we're 23. Right? Like, we want to get pregnant on the first try. 
We want the first person we date to be our future husband or wife. We want the first mission trip to just be incredible and go out without a hitch. I want to lead worship the first time and everybody love it. Right? Like, we want shortcuts. We are wired for that, but not by God. The sin nature in us has hijacked the process that is necessary, the apprenticeship, albeit, that is necessary to be in God, which means after a while, then you'll get there. You know, years ago, we went and visited this, this old mansion home thing on the East Coast, and they actually had a blacksmith still there working and operating like on the estate. It's pretty cool. And I went and talked to this guy for a while. He's like in his 50s. There's another guy there in his 30s, and I was talking to him, and he said, well, I'm the master blacksmith, and this is my apprentice. And I said, well, cool. Well, how's that work? Well, he said, it's at least a seven-year apprenticeship, and if you've proven your worth after seven years, then we go to the next step, and then eventually become a master blacksmith. So I said, so how do you start your apprenticeship? He said, well, we start by making a 1,000 nails. I said, show me. A little piece of metal. The master has the apprentice make a nail, old school nail, at least a thousand times. And if it's not correct, he makes him redo it, redo it, redo it. You have to make a single nail the right way a thousand times in order to move on to the next thing. We're not talking horseshoes yet, people. We're talking a tiny nail. And this guy knows that is the process to get it right. And he's like, this is the journey I'm on. This is, this is the way it is. We don't even fathom that anymore, do we? We just want instant, right? Like, that is us. And I'm telling you, the disciples were no different. Jesus was trying to get ahead, get ahead of the game there in a little foreshadowing. He said, hey, just so you know, I'm about to call you to follow me in just a few moments. I need you to see something. My way is better than your way. You're the expert. You fished all night in the same spot. You're going to drop your nets in the exact same spot, and I'm going to show you otherwise. Because my kingdom is different than what you've experienced. It does not make sense. You are not in control. But if you obey me, you'll experience abundance. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing is this. The response to the miracle from Peter is repentance. <laughs> says he gets down on his knees. He's like, Lord, remove, I'll remove myself from your midst not worthy to be in your presence. See, the response to a miracle is deep repentance. You know, there's a story in the, in the Gospels where Jesus heals several people with leprosy. You may have heard this story. I think there's 10 people, if I'm right. So 10 people get healed of leprosy. Like, you know, it's a skin disease that can't go away. There's no cure. And he heals them, and all of them run off excited. It says only one turned back. To give gratitude and thanks. You had this disease like your whole life. And then you get healed, and then it's like, all right, good, thank you. It's like, no, no, no. Where's the person going back and saying, here's my heart. Let me humble myself before you. You see, our response to a miracle, guys, needs to be repentance. It needs to be a humble heart, a humility, a, oh, my gosh. Jesus didn't do miracles. Everyone could just be excited about them. He did miracles to point back to relationship. That's the goal. Because he knew if I can heal the blind 
maybe it'll reveal to them, actually, I have power over the sin and the curses in their own life, that I can set them free. Oftentimes, the Pharisees would come and say, I can't believe you're healing this guy on the Sabbath. He's supposed to rest today. I mean, you think it's silly, but they were serious about it. And he said, okay, is it, is it harder for me to tell a guy to get up and walk or to forgive their sins? But so I can really show you the Son of God has authority over both, I'm going to do both. He wasn't into being a showstopper. Jesus was a disciple maker. And he was trying to mark his first disciples with a key moment. I also want you to see this, that the reality is these boats, I'm, I'm imagining Peter and his friends had gotten a pretty good catch before. Like maybe almost a boat full. But they have never gotten two boats full. They have never experienced that. I mean, not only was it a double portion, but it was other witnesses had to get involved to say, holy cow, this is ridiculous. So not only was it the biggest catch of their lives that would have made them famous fishermen in Galilee, they probably could have taken six months off from work and just chilled out on all the winnings. But in this very moment, as soon as this happens, Let's go to verse 10 and 11. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. These were the fishing partners who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is like hitting the lottery. Wow. Hey, just leave it there. Come follow me. What? Like, really? Jesus is not saying when you start following him, you have to quit your job. He's not saying you have to drop out of school. What he is saying, though, is leave your past behind you. I got something new for you. In this moment, he was calling forth some young men to do something that had never been done before, to go on an adventure and a journey that was uh, mysterious. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus calls us to do things that don't make sense. But that's okay because he's the creator. If you always want everything to make sense, you won't really follow Jesus. Just so you know. If you want to have it all scienced out, you'll always doubt. Science is good. But God does not bring us into that inner circle of the triune God and everything that he thinks and knows. He invites in relationship, but he's still God and you are still man or woman. He's there and I'm just here. I'm a vessel, a pitcher with water being filled up. Praise God. I'm just a pot of clay. I'm here today. I'm gone tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to get perspective. And in this moment, you're trying to get them perspective. I am Lord, not just over the fish of the sea, Peter, but I am Lord over this world, over humanity. I rule. This is my kingdom. You know, Jesus shifted from the crowds to his disciples and Sometimes we may think about, well, who are these disciples, right? Does it, like, to be a disciple of Christ, you have to be special? Like, do you have to have a certain resume? Do you have to have a career, a certain lineage, you know? Like, what does it look like? Well, just to mention a few of these disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were fishermen. So pretty basic, uneducated guys, it seems. And Matthew, later on, he's a tax collector. That guy was hated. Imagine an IRS agent that's crooked that comes to your house and they not only collect the $1,000 you owe the government, but they also want an extra 500 for themselves. They do it to every single person in the neighborhood. But then you see that guy at like the pizza place. 
hey, Matthew. And he's like, what? You know, you're just like, that crook, that guy, you know, but you can't, you can't beat the guy up because he's a representative of the government. So now you're just frustrated, you know? That's Matthew. So Jesus is like, hey, I want you to come be my disciple too. People are like, do you know who that guy is? Well, what about this other guy? Simon. They call him Simon the Zealot. Right? Now, that was specific. It wasn't just he was a passionate guy. He was. But Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a religious sect that held fast to the Jewish faith. And their aim was actually to overthrow the Roman occupation and rule in their area by any means necessary, including war and weapons. Simon was a fighter. He, he'd be like in UFC. You know what I'm saying? Like, he would, you know what that is? It's like ultimate fighting champion. I mean, he would just, he would just, Roman soldier versus Simon. He would just, he would go there, right? Like, this is a fighter. Jesus is like, yeah, I want you too. Judas Iscariot, who we know later on betrayed Jesus. He was known to have been the money manager for the disciples, and along the journey, actually started just taking money from the bag. It's like, this is the Jesus finances. It's like, we only got 50 bucks in here. I mean, it's not, and you're robbing from the Jesus pot? I mean, come on. But that's Judas, but he still chose a disciple to invest in him. You see, the crew, the disciples, what's interesting is we don't see a lot of their background. Ever wondered why? It's not important. It's not important. When, when you came to Christ, did he ask you for the resume? Hey, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you pray that prayer, hold on. Let's journey back in time about 20 years. Let's unpack every evil deed you've ever done. Every time, white lie, big lie, you know, like let's do, can do that. He said, come as you are, because I know you're a mess, and that's why I died on the cross for my blood to literally wipe you clean. It says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I want you to hear me say this today clearly. If you do not know Christ, if you've not received him as Lord and Savior, you do not have to go through a gauntlet. You have to go through him. And he says, anyone who believes in me, you will be saved. What does that mean? Just to believe he was a nice guy? No. You've got to believe that he is the son of God who came to this world that he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, so that when he died on the cross, he was that perfect sacrifice that God the Father demands a sacrifice for our sins. Somebody has to die to wash away the ickiness of our lives called sin. The Old Testament, they used to slaughter sheep and cows and doves and would do that every so often on a yearly basis. And what they would do, they would kill that cow and the priest would help with it, and then you would go and, you know, you would transfer your hands, put your hands on the dead animal at times to transfer your sins onto that animal, so then they received your sin. But it never fully got rid of it. It just came back. So God sent his son Jesus, and he said, it is finished. Enough is enough. I'm going to do it one time for all. You don't have to go back yearly. You're going to go once. But now you have a relationship with me, and then I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit, which means, guess what? It's not once a year ago confess my sins. It's not just on Sundays to the priest. It's every day. Because you walk by the Spirit. And one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is actually convict us and guide us into all truth. To convict us of sin. Which means when you start following Jesus, 
You no longer have to have someone else call you out for your sin. The Spirit of God's calling you out. The question is, are you going to ignore him or not? If you ignore him, he probably will send a prophet or someone to get in your face. Just saying. So if someone who's a fellow Christian gets up in your grill and starts rebuking you, it's probably because you've already ignored the Holy Spirit's rebuke, and now he's coming at you with someone that loves you that's in your world. And now you have to deal with the offense in your heart because you didn't listen to this one. He actually comes pretty soft here, just so you know. Did you know that? The Spirit of God's actually really gentle. But when you push him away, you're asking for it. Do not push him away. This is a lot better. The Spirit of God is a lot better than that other guy. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's because you chose not to respond to that. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you can know him today. It's that simple. He's done all the hard work by shedding his blood and dying on the cross. And then it says on the third day he rose from the grave, actually came back to life. He was resurrected from the dead. Which sounds creepy and weird, but I'm just telling you, if you're there in the moment, which I wish I was, I mean power. So there's earthquakes, the, the, the skies rumble with thunder, the, the veil was torn in the temple that kept people away from the holiness of God. Just in this moment, Jesus was like, it is finished, and now any and all, I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care where you're from. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care. It, whatever. You can come to me, and I'll forgive you. That's why Christianity spread. Because Jesus was available to everybody, not just a few. You know, you have to know Jesus to be a disciple of Christ. Sometimes we think about, okay, what is a really disciple, right? We, I shared earlier, maybe there's a buzzword. What is discipleship? You know, I was looking this up, and actually the Romans and the Greeks and Jewish culture and literature actually speaks to this concept of discipleship. And consistently, here's kind of how you would summarize it. Consistently, you would see three main things emerge from the idea of discipleship. It would be referring to people committed to following a great leader, emulating his life, and passing on his teachings. Following a great leader, emulating his life, and passing on his teachings. And in many cases, discipleship was a whole lot more than the transfer of information. Do not think discipleship when you think just teaching and learning in a class. Discipleship is life on life. Jesus could have said to his disciples, okay, it's time for you guys to meet me at the synagogue every once a week. We're going to meet for two hours of teaching, and then I'll see you next week. It's not discipleship. His discipleship was Anytime we're around each other, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to train you. We're going to interact. We're going to pray together. We're going to respond to situations. I'm going to show you what I do and how I do it so I can reveal to you the heart of God. Discipleship is meant to be a life-on-life relationship. But when Jesus called his disciples, he called them to himself. And I just want to end with this just for a few more minutes. Hang with me end with these three calls that Jesus did that I believe to his disciples over and over and over again. And I believe he's calling us into this same thing. His call to discipleship at first is a call to personal commitment to Jesus. Personal commitment to Jesus. Although Jesus is not walking on the earth right now at this moment, his spirit is, which is why we're called to walk by his Holy Spirit. And a personal commitment to Jesus is a commitment to be with him and to know him. It's to be with him and to know him. So 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son. 
Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you know other world religions, they don't call you into fellowship with God? It, like, there's a fellowship. There's a relationship here. He came down to earth in humanity and said, I want to build a relationship with you. And has built that bridge. Philippians 3.10, I want, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Christ. See, there's this personal commitment to Jesus. That's the first call. The second call is this, a call to follow Jesus. This means having a commitment to Jesus himself, a call to Christ's likeness. Following him is an all or nothing endeavor. Guys, you can't partially follow Christ. That's called lukewarm or something. I don't know what that's called. Okay, but like it's either you're in or you're out with him. You, 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 can't, you can't straddle the line of I want to be worldly and ungodly and then I want to be godly and it depends on the day. That's not, that's not following Jesus. That's hard-hearted. That's two-faced. That's hypocritical, which is why many people knock Christians for being hypocritical because they're not really following Jesus. Just because you go to our church doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you're part of a small group doesn't mean you're a disciple. Just because you're on a mission trip doesn't mean you actually know Christ. Just because you teach in a seminary doesn't mean you believe in God. Do not get confused with associations. Just because you're associated does not mean you're the real deal. Have you ever met someone that um, I've asked them, hey, so when did you, when did you become a Christian? They say, well, I was born that way, Texas. <laughs> I've heard that a lot. Well, I'm Texan, dude. Yeah, of course, Christian. What? It's like, what? Okay. It's like, it's like going to the Middle East. You say, hey, what are you? I'm Muslim. Cool. How did you become Muslim? Well, I was born Muslim. Just born that way. It's the same mindset. Just born that way. Well, hold on a second. That's, it's a choice, actually. Right? There's a call to follow Jesus. Luke 9, 23 to 24 and he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Guys, that ain't easy. I just want to say to you, if you want to go on the journey of becoming a disciple of Jesus, it's daily and it's costly. It's daily and it is costly. I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's easy to follow Christ. It's not. But you know, Jesus himself said, the way is narrow and hard that leads to life. The way is broad and easy that leads to destruction. If you want a broad, easy life, I can tell you where that's taking you. A narrow, hard way, that's his way, that leads to life. There's a call to follow Jesus. <laughs> Maybe the question is, are you willing to get on that wheel? Are you willing to get on that clay maker's wheel and say, Lord, mold me, shape me, spin me around, whatever you got to do, make me how you want me to be. I need that. It's a Christ-likeness desire in you. The third call is this. There's a call to make disciples of Jesus. Not only is there a call to a personal commitment to Jesus, there's a call to follow him, and there's a call to make disciples. 
we are to encourage people to submit to the lordship of Jesus. Remember, Jesus, like back when I was in college, I think there was this song that kind of went viral, I guess, for a moment, like a day, who knows. And it was called Jesus is My Buddy. I don't know if you've heard this one. I remember watching that. I was like, he's not my buddy. He's, he's my Lord. My buddy you kind of put off or goof around with. I didn't goof around with Jesus. Because, you know, he's one day he's coming back with a tattoo on his thigh, fires in his eyes, coming on a white horse, and judgment to this earth. Jesus is coming. He's not going to be your buddy. He's your king. People think Jesus is their buddy. They haven't really submitted to him probably aren't fully committed to him. He's just this nice guy that they'll, you know, call up every once in a while that needs some help, needs some advice. That's a buddy. A Lord is absolute surrender and submission. It's he's the master, I'm the apprentice. He's the knight, and I'm the other guy. He's underneath the knight, whatever that guy's name is. Squire. Thank you. That's relationship with Jesus so when you're committed to him, when you follow him, then you do what he does, which is he makes disciples. That's what we do. That's the main thing. Matthew 20, 18 through 20, not only did he start his ministry recruiting disciples, he ends his time on planet earth before he goes to heaven with this statement in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the way the gospel will spread to the nations. This is the way societies will transform. This is the way a family that is broken and messed up can get healed and delivered and set free and be whole again. This is the way. The way is by making disciples. It doesn't mean we can't heal the sick, and it doesn't mean you can't write a book, and it doesn't mean you can't speak at a conference. Those are great. But the main thing Jesus chose to do is to make disciples. And when you make disciples, that goes deep. They get deep roots. They get confidence, and then they go spread and make more disciples. Remember, it started with this little band of 12, and it spread to hundreds of millions now today. Last verse I want to read to us is John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So these are people that believed. They're like, hey, this is the son of God. We believe this guy. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that word abide, it means to remain in or to keep close. Take your Bible if you want and say, if I, if I abide in this... <laughs> Uh, a, a guy who uh, mentored me and really discipled me without me knowing it. Just saying, you can disciple people without them knowing it. It's called trick discipleship, right? <laughs> they, don't know you're, they don't know you're actually helping them further along in God. You just do it, right? Um, but we were reading through Joshua 1 when I was in middle school. He took his Bible out, and he did this. We're like, what, what are you doing to the Bible? You're not supposed to do that. And he said, well, Joshua 1 says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Stuck, didn't it? I mean, 25 years later, I still remember that. Do not let it depart from your mouth, but what? But meditate on it day and night. Are we meditating on the word at all? Are you meditating on social media? Are you meditating on the news? 
on the stock market, on the next political talking head? Are you meditating on this or that and the other? Are you meditating on the only thing that I'm aware of on planet Earth that will remain? This is eternal, not your physics textbook. But be great at physics. This is eternal, not your company's sales performance, not your personality profile. This is eternal. Do those things in submission to this. I want you to be engaged. I want our people to be more engaged than anyone else. I want this church to be more engaged with the issues going on in our country and city more than anybody else. But I do not want us to do it void of the scripture. Be engaged. Don't be a fool. A fool chases after the next hottest thing. A guy years ago told me, he said, Tyler, here's a good rule of thumb in ministry. You ready? If it's new, it's not for you. You can use that one too. Fashions come and go. Viral comes and goes. What was viral a decade ago? No one knows about. You know how I know that? Because I ask you about it. You're like, what is that? Who was famous 20 years ago? You don't even know. I forgot. This remains. You're going to make disciples? You got to get this in you. You might not be good at reading. It's okay. They have an audio version now. Just listen. You can even watch movies about it. There's like videos now. You literally, video Bible. You just, and there's every form. I mean, my gosh, people sacrifice blood, sweat, and tears to get this in print. Killed, martyred, burned at the stake, imprisoned, ostracized. Because they wanted to put this in a language that common people could understand. Because what they knew is once this got in the people's hands, all of a sudden it spread. You can't stop it. Please take the Lord seriously. Or don't pretend. I tell people in our church, guys, don't pretend. We don't need pretenders to follow Jesus. There's a lot of them. I used to be one. You don't need my old self. We need people that are for real. Our dying world needs people that are for real. So either you get serious or you get out. That's my encouragement to you. You may not want to hear that the first Sunday back in Antioch, but that's the deal, guys. Our world is broken right now. It's been that way for a while. Our society, our country is divided. We don't need people being fake. Be real. Be serious. If you're not serious, that's fine. Go enjoy the world. But I'll tell you where that road leads. But if you're going to be serious, then be serious about Jesus. Quit putting it on the church or your parents or someone else. You're a disciple. You can simply make that choice. He's calling your name today. I want to invite the band up as we close this morning. You know, it's not always this intense, but sometimes it is, I guess. You never know. But I want you guys to hear me loud and clear that we are living in a time that needs serious Christians. Just, you know, I don't mean angry Christians. I don't mean um, serious in the sense you can't laugh. Serious Christians are full of joy. <laughs> serious Christians have a lot of life. Because so what we just saw from the example of Peter is when we obey, we receive abundance. You want that abundant life that Jesus promises? You have to obey him and know him. I want you to stand this morning as we close our time. Typically in the past, we'd have ministry teams up here. We're going to do that soon, just not yet. Um, but here's how you can respond this morning. I just got this sense during the first service that um, 
that really this moment that, that Jesus is, is calling some of you by name. You know, he, he called out to Simon Peter. He called out to Andrew and James and John and Matthew. He called Zacchaeus down from the tree. He called out Mary. He called out Joanna. He called out men and women. He called them by name. And there's something that happens in our soul when we get called out by name. It's not, hey, you. It's, hey, Connor. It's, hey, Sarah. It's, hey, Robert. Hey, Brad. When he calls you by name, it's different. He's calling you by name because he knows your name already. He knows more about you than you think. So this morning, I just felt a clear invitation for you to receive Jesus calling you by name again to follow him, to really commit to him. And look, the past is the past, y'all. The last six months is not my greatest either. Let's just all come to terms on that. The last six months, there's things we did or didn't do that we wish we could go back and change. But you can't. You could do something about it now, moving forward. If you weren't a disciple of Jesus before, you can sign up now. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to tell me about it. It's between you and him. But there's a call today to get serious about Jesus. So I want to invite us into. So, Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you've given us the invitation, the opportunity. <laughs> Knowing our past and our brokenness, yet you still call us by name. And say, if you would lay it down and follow me, I will give you hope. I will give you a future. I will give you life again. Heck, he might even give you a new name. And so, Lord, we just ask this morning that you would open up our hearts any place where we are cold, any place where we are bitter, any place where we are shamed or embarrassed or frustrated or angry or depressed, God, mentally swirling or feeling disconnected because of everything that's happened this year, Lord, I just pray, open up our hearts. Let us see the miracle you're doing so that we get on our knees and to say, Jesus, will you still have me? Deal with our pride. Deal with our apathy. Deal with our passivity. We just want a chance to follow you for real this time. So Spirit of God, come. Come and minister to every heart in the room. Every hindrance, move through it, move around it, move over it. Get to our hearts, get to our soul, Lord. Deal with us this morning, we pray. Let us hear you call our name again. Thank you, Jesus.